It's not the influences that growing up in LA give you. It's thinking anything's possible. I'm a crazy person who loves being on a tour bus with like 15 people and being part of a traveling circus. It's the best feeling ever. The reason I can riff like that is because I trust the bass player and drummer. There wasn't a big budget, so I couldn't hire anyone. So I'm like, I'm going to play every instrument myself. In that room, he probably played at least 25 instruments. There's also a small room, and we kept ordering the smelliest foods. Who is with Vinny Fiorenza? There's a lot he doesn't know. There's a lot he wants to know. This is a podcast where he tries to learn from people who know things he doesn't. He'll be focusing on people from the worlds of business, entertainment, and the arts. His guests are people he finds fascinating and that he believes will bring value to others. Join him on the journey on finding out who is. We are here with the one and only Alex Burke. Been waiting for this one for a long time. How you feeling, man? Feeling great. I'm with you. Nice. Yeah, we love hanging out. So tell the audience, where is Alex Burke from? Where did the origin story begin? (laughs) Um, I was actually born in L.A., one of the Mm -hmm. few people born here. Mm -hmm. Um, Grew up in Laguna Beach, Orange County. Uh, Was always playing jazz around town in L.A. growing up. Um, Wound up in a Nickelodeon pop band with Drake Bell as a young kid, playing on The Amanda Show. Used to play with like Reeve Car- and Zane Carney, BB Kings, growing up as a kid, yeah, like all over the place, and it just yeah blew up from there. What does it like mean, mean to you, like grow, growing up in this area? I'm sure there's a lot of influences. Like, what does it mean to you being an artist in LA? It's not the influences that growing up in LA give you. It's thinking anything's possible. I like that. The big difference is if you grow up, say, in Wyoming, the idea of being a professional musician, professional actor. A professional anything in the arts doesn't feel feasible and in LA it just felt normal like oh well of course you would get a record deal if you had a band that's normal what's normal is what doesn't seem normal is not working <laughs> what doesn't seem normal is not pursuing that passion that you have and I think leaving LA and I lived in Chicago for a while in New York and it was confusing to me when I would meet musicians actors writers who were so incredible who weren't pursuing it who didn't think it was a possibility and it would just be like well why i grew up with all these people doing it i think that's one thing that holds a lot of people back that's an interesting perspective and it makes a it makes a lot of sense did your did your family have any influence on you becoming the artist that you are uh yes and no okay (laughs) give us both (laughs) um they never once pushed me they never once said i had to practice and i had to work but when i said i wanted to do music and acting and writing they essentially said great that means you practice 10 hours a day they said if you want this you have to just be absolutely relentless but the second you don't want it do something else yeah, I, I know for a fact that hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, uh, they they found me the best piano teachers, the best ev- everything teachers, and really nurtured me. Did they have a musical background as well? Uh, they did not. Oh, wow. Yeah, my mom told me one of the first things I told her was to stop singing when I learned how to speak. That's funny. She's tone deaf, and I when I first learned how to speak, I asked her to stop singing because she was terrible. And she said it was one of the hardest things I ever said to her. <laughs> but she's what... One of the people who makes me as creative as I am, she's such an amazing storyteller. And she used to come up with nursery rhymes and stories on the spot that I still remember. Being from L.A. growing up here, did you have any um, Hollywood friends as a kid? No. No. 
Uh, I had friends growing up who became Hollywood, nice. but no actual Hollywood friends. I used to always see Richard Dreyfuss at Jerry's Deli, and he would pat me on the head when you walked by, but that's about the extent of it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I know that you play a lot of instruments. Which was your first? Piano. Piano. Is, yeah. Would you say that that might be your favorite? Uh, no. No. Okay. Uh, vibraphone's my favorite to play. Vibraphone. Could, could you explain to the audience what a vibraphone is? <laughs> you all don't know what that is. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's essentially a gigantic metal xylophone that you play with two mouths in each hand. Uh, I heard a recording when I was a kid of a uh, hallelujah, not um, the Leonard Cohen hallelujah, but the old jazz standard. And was there was a trio record with. Um, not Benny Goodman, with Lionel Hampton, Art Tatum, and Buddy Rich. Lionel played in Benny Goodman's band. I'm used to combining those two names. Uh, but I heard their version of Hallelujah and Lionel playing vibes and just decide that's what I wanted to do. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've actually seen you play that instrument. I, <laughs> I didn't remember the name. Shows how much I pay attention. How many instruments could you play? Do you know? No, I mean... I got my master's in music. There's only 12 notes. So if I can find, you know, three or four notes on an instrument, I can work my way around it and make you think I know, really know what I'm doing because of knowing harmonies and rhythms and whatnot. Uh, but I just like to challenge myself. Um, I, w I toured with Billy Ray Cyrus and recorded with him for about three and a half years. And I got into an argument with a friend that I couldn't play mandolin at the Grand Old Opry and bought a mandolin well, and learned how to play within a month and played with him at the Opry. Um, I love learning new instruments. And when you compose for film, you know, you, I will constantly just find and uh, seek out new instruments and use them for recording. And it's it's hard for me to spend money on digital instruments, VSTs, and you need them. Like, you know, I have a great string library and brass library and all that. But you'll drop $2,000 on a good library, and three years later, that library's obsolete. Updated, and yeah. You buy a mandolin for $2,000, and A, it only goes up in value, and B, you have this beautiful instrument, which you will love and cherish for your entire life. And when, you know, it's Alex Burks, <laughs> the, the value just goes up that much more. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll play it at the Opry one day. There we go. I will. <laughs> I'm getting messing around. Um, so you, you just mentioned the gear and equipment. How often... Do you get new gear and equipment? You said you you said you could hold down a mandolin for twenty years or something. But how often do you specifically tr try to get new equipment? I try to buy a new piece of equipment for every film I do, <laughs> uh, or record. To be totally honest, for as much gear as I buy, I don't have gear I don't use. Any any instrument. I, I'm not a collector. I don't want. Vintage gear that's in perfect condition. If I buy vintage gear, I always buy like things that have been messed up, dinged, played. I don't want instruments that I'm afraid of. Um, I was given by Chris Campbell Guitars this beautiful custom guitar, and it's so beautiful and so pristine, I'm afraid of it. And it wasn't until it got left out and I loaned it to friends and different people and it got kind of okay. dinged up a little bit and banged up that I felt comfortable playing it. And now I play the guitar every day and I love it. It's great. But I don't – I want something that is an instrument. Instruments are tools. They're meant to give you a sound. And again, if I sit on an instrument for more than a year and don't touch it and don't want to touch it, I get rid of it. But I use that money to fund a new instrument. I don't – save that money <laughs> it's funny because my neck my next actual question was what is your relationship with your gear <laughs> you know like because apparently you have one yeah i mean they're all my children <laughs> I, 
uh, <laughs> like my my main vibes I've had for years, and they, you know, you travel around the world with them. You know, I've keyboards that I've taken to Hong Kong and New Zealand and London, and wow. you know, they're they become like old friends, and your body kind of like they feel like they're part of your body and an extension of you. Well, yeah, I love I love that. That's that's amazing. That was a perfect answer to that question. <laughs> Did you go to school to study music at all? Yes. Yeah, where did you end up going? So growing up, I went to CISA, which is a program at CalArts for high school kids, which was okay. incredible. Then I went to Interlochen, which is in Michigan, which is another program for kids in high school, middle school, which completely blew my mind. At Interlochen, they actually teach it like almost like you're in... Um, military camp wow. but for music or, or for all the performing arts like they play revelry you're in a cabin you go outside you line up you do calisthenics you have to like make your bed and there's inspections and wow, I love that. it's Good. a level of musical discipline which is really next level um to, went to columbia college for my undergrad which was amazing like got to tour europe with john faddis and randy brecker and that columbia wow. college is a very strange school None of them are career teachers for the most part. So they'll essentially say you want to be a great artist. Artists, okay, yeah. Here's what you do. You don't? I don't care. I have other things to do. They care if you care, but they're not trying to inspire you per se, which is something that I actually love. They're very realist about things. And then I went to USC for my post-baccalaureate, which was in film composing, which was next level. I go back and forth about if you need to go to school for music. Yeah. Because there's so many things for performance, because there's so many things you can learn on your own. Um, and if you're dedicated and you can figure it out, but I do think college is so incredibly important. But do you really need it for a performance degree? But when it comes to composing, you 100% need it. Oh, so that's good advice. You because heard it here. no one will give a 19-year-old a full orchestra <laughs> to compose and conduct for. Tell us about that, though, like in regards to, like, say, the college experience and com like the composing side thing and what it for for us you know, lay people what is composing <laughs> <laughs> uh composing is telling the band the orchestra what to do yeah. uh composing is figuring out what the sonic world is and in music producing composing playing all the lines have become so blurred due to technology got it um <clears throat> and it's a bit of everything but what college doesn't teach is they teach you how to compose always at the highest level, but they don't teach you how to compose pragmatically. My first film score, no one ever taught me this in college, and I would love to teach a class on this, is essentially how to budget and compose around your budget. Wow. Because most jobs, I've only done two jobs in my entire career that were not package deals. A package deal is, say, you get a quarter million dollars to score a film. You pay for everything and you keep what's left over. And that job I did for quarter million, I did not budget well because I thought I was making so much money I made 800 bucks. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> but my first TV show, I was making five grand an episode, so about 20 grand a month. And by the time the show was done, I was $12,000 in debt living in a friend's garage, essentially, mm -hmm. because no one taught me how to a budget properly and budget the orchestras and budget and kind of how that side of the music business works. And there's things like if you're scoring television, 
just do footballs or we call footballs are just sustained notes. So like if the strings are just holding a chord for a while, that's a football. This is me air bowing. Um, you know, in college, you learn how to do all this like movement where if they're doing footballs, maybe you're having the lines move in and out. So even though the chords is staying static, the movement of the strings are all moving back and forth. But if this is TV, the strings are mixed so far in the background, you can't tell. Like, it just still sounds like it's sustaining. It's not the focal part. It's not the focus. I remember staying up for, like, three days writing this, like, great inner, you know, counterpoint to these sustained notes. And I heard the final score, and it was mixed so far back you couldn't tell. Also, I hired real string quartets, and it could have just been a digital string because, again, it was pushed so far back because it's TV you couldn't tell. I could have just held a chord and called it a day as opposed to working for three days straight and spending, like— thousands of dollars oh, you learn now you understand like what the within the budget and what to choose and how how to operate that that exact system one of my favorite scores was for a film i did uh adam Mervis wrote and directed who wrote um 21 bridges and national champions called the last days of capitalism and there wasn't a big budget and the movie takes place in vegas so i scored the film with like 80 synthesizers and tap dance and it's one of my favorite scores i've done because also composing within a budget makes you creative. Yeah. We're like, I'm friends with one of the best tap dancers ever, Sarah Rye Kubel, just is mind blowing. So like, let's write a score based around that budget and it winds up creating really amazing art and inspiration as opposed to films should always just have a giant orchestra. You mentioned TV with all the episodes, which project were you mentioning and what are some of the other TV related projects that you've worked on? Uh, that show was called Frank TV. It was on TBS. Uh, last two or three seasons starring Frank Caliendo. Uh, I just wrote all the songs for Lady in the Lake, which is an Apple TV show starring Natalie Portman coming out. Yeah, they can't stop you. <laughs> <laughs> that process was wild. Um, got to co-compose with some really great friends like Sean Balfazar, Jake Leckie. Um, and Bacon was the producer of that, and he's composing the score for that show. He produced like Kendrick Lamar's last couple records and the new Hosier and... Bacon's one of the most genius producers I've ever been in the studio with. That's uh, incredible. I've, I've only met you, like, say, three years ago now, and the amount of things you've done just in that time span is absolutely insane. Earlier, you mentioned working and touring with the Billy Ray Cyrus. I know recently, within that three-year span, at a minimum, you've worked with some massive global artists. Want to, like, talk to <laughs> some of those, if you could? I played accordion with Bob Dylan uh, for wow. the concert film Shadow Kingdom. Uh, I was scoring Love and Love Not, and I remember calling Anthony, the director, and just being like, so I need to push things back a month? I'm recording with Bob Dylan and doing a film with him? Is is that cool? <laughs> Normally, I want, if I lock in something, I don't change my schedule because it always kind of feels like an yeah. asshole move. But yeah, Bob Dylan kind of like came in, in front of us. <laughs> but we, we had, yeah. I think we understand. <laughs> yeah, I have a. Uh, I just recorded uh, with the boss for something that'll be coming out soon, Springsteen. Yeah, I was going to say Bruce Springsteen. Um, Incredible. Yeah, I recorded a track with Avril Lavigne during the pandemic. That was fun. Oh. Um, always working with so many people. He doesn't mess around. He gets everywhere. Now the the versatility you have is so interesting too because. I know now, and you have a long history with it, with musicals as well. Yeah. Right now, you're currently working on a, a musical that got picked up. Could you just explain what the process of that is and, and the progress of this <clears throat> specific project? Yeah, I got hired by some producers to do a musical that's, um, you know, slayed to be on Broadway, meant to be on Broadway. Um, we're doing out-of-town tryouts next year. 
And out-of-town tryouts essentially is when producers will put up a show at a major uh, regional theater, something like the Geffen, the Amundsen, mm-hmm. South Coast Rep, uh, the Goodman, uh, Milwaukee, Chicago Shake, something like that. And they kind of see how the musical goes before they put on Broadway in the last 20 or 30 years. I believe the Book of Mormon is the only show which has ever opened on Broadway without doing tryouts somewhere else. Got it. Wow, interesting. Even Stephen Sondheim would never open directly on Broadway at first. It would either be off-Broadway. Like, I remember seeing Bounce at the Goodman. Um, and then the show got revamped and the name changed and all of that before it went to Broadway. So uh, when you do a musical, you'll do multiple workshops, um, multiple movement workshops, dance workshops, mm-hmm. um, figure out staging, figure out every little aspect of it because it costs 12 to $15 million to put a show up on Broadway. Yeah, I've, I've had some conversations. Crazy. Yeah, you uh, think a movie's hard to do. Yeah, how long does it take from, like, soup to nuts, like, to get a show to Broadway? How long do you think the, that takes? We are f- years? fast-tracked due to amazing producers, truly amazing producers. So we could pull it off in four years. Wow. Um, Usually you're looking at six to eight years. Tell us about your role in this project. I'm composer, which means I'm writing every every bit of music, everything song is I'm writing. And I'm working on uh, lyrics a bit with uh, Deborah Vogt, who's the book writer who's absolutely amazing. We were hired to do this story. And, you know, it's us sitting down figuring out what's the arc, who are the characters, what does this character sing like, what does that character sing like? Because you want every character to have their own voice, to have their own style of singing, their own movement. And just if you cast someone as a tenor or a baritone, you know, an alto or soprano, you're saying something different. This isn't the first musical you worked on either, right? Like you've been you've been involved with a lot of musicals beforehand. Yeah, like I did a show off Broadway for years called Baby Wants Candy. I don't understand how it got that name, uh, dumb name, but it was an improvised musical. That's interesting. <clears throat> and we would improvise a musical from scratch every day, and we had like, you know, Mark Pender and speaking of the boss Gary Talon, who's the bass player in the East Street Band, played with us often. You know, Pender's the trumpet player on the Late Show, Conan O'Brien, but um also plays a lot with Springsteen, but we would have them playing with us and all kinds of great legends and we would improvise musicals. And I've written musical numbers for like the MTV Movie Awards and uh, Buble's Christmas specials. And I've done a lot of, you know, musicals I composed for at Second City as well. But this you've won the name drop award for this show so far. (laughs) (laughs) I think you've won that trophy for sure. Oh, my God. I I feel so pretentious. That's also I can tell I lived in L.A. as I'll name drop too much. Correct me if I'm wrong. Part of a project that uh, was in Cannes this year. Yeah, with um, Logan Vaughn, uh, who I went to Columbia College with. She's incredible, too. Super talented. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, she wrote and directed a short called Betty and James, which is absolutely amazing. We won Best SAG Film and Holly Shorts. Um, oh. We won Best uh, LGBTQ Film at the American Pavilion, as well as Diversity, plus Best Cinematography from Robert Arnold, and I think Best Ensemble, and just the awards keep going on yeah. and on. Congrats to you guys. That was incredible. Thank you. How was, how was that experience over there? I'm sure it wasn't the first time you've been there, or maybe it was. It was. Oh, it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was my first time at Cannes. Uh, Cannes is exhausting. Yeah. I went with um, 
and Mella sang the ending the song. Mella Lee, we had a band together gotcha. for years, Magnolia Memoir. She's now amazing, amazing voice actress and releasing some great music on her own. We got a th- really beautiful three-bedroom Airbnb, like, and we thought it was going to be like a total vacation. <laughs> and it'd be we were there for two weeks, and we thought we'd be working for three days. And Can is the most exhausting, nonstop, relentless trip I've ever been on. Like, I needed a vacation to decompress from Can. Like, when people talk about how exhausting Burning Man is, I'm like, you got nothing on Can. Uh, also, I've never been to Burning Man, so, you know. No, I haven't been to either. So. But the amount of meetings and opportunities and things you get flown in for and, well, you're at this thing, meet this person, now talk to this person. I never saw any screenings besides um, mine. You mentioned the, a band you were a part of. I'm sure you've been in a lot of bands over the years. If you give us a, a brief like overview of your <laughs> that that history. Yeah, I mean, Drake twenty four seven was a band we did on Nickelodeon, all that stuff. Um, Those were Drake Bell. Yeah, and then yeah, that was a long time ago now. But we, um, I had Magnolia Memoir with Mello. We had a couple record deals. We were with E One, and nice. we were also with. Um, Wow, I forgot the other. Uh, oh well, doesn't even matter anymore. It's okay, uh, just check my wiki page; it's on there. Um, but yeah, we were, we had a bunch of deals and really had some beautiful success with that band, and got to do travel the world and play some amazing shows. I'm currently I'm playing a band called Radiator King, which Anthony directed a music video for. Yep, with Adam Silvestri and Brian Viglione from Dresden Dolls and. You guys are super talented. What's what's going on with you guys now? It has been breaking my heart because Adam did a European tour, and I was putting the musical up in Northwestern uh, in Chicago. We were workshopping it for a month, and dates changed kind of on both ends, and I was not able to go to Europe with those guys, and I am having so much FOMO seeing them on social media. Speaking of that, um, I know like performing is one of your true loves. How has it been, like, I guess kind of taking on some other roles and performing a little bit less? How has that, like, taken a toll on you? Oh, uh, it's actually been really hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am desperate to perform more. Yeah. Uh, I miss it so much. I'm a crazy person who loves being on a tour bus uh, with, like, 15 people and being part of a traveling circus. It's the best feeling ever. But... You get older and you start to realize unless you wind up in a band, you know, like in the E Street Band or yeah. playing with someone like, um, you know, James Taylor, who's had the same band for years, you start to realize that you're like, OK, cool. You tour till you're not cute anymore and then you teach <laughs> and you want more stability. Also, if I'm creative and I'm a writer and if I only ever was playing other people's music and touring, yeah. playing other people's art, I think I would also go crazy. Um, you know, performing something that I love that I always will have to do. But, you know, if I had to pick one, it would be writing and composing and producing. Are you doing now what you thought you'd be doing, like a while back early on in your career? I mean, I thought I'd be the youngest person to win a Grammy, so I kind of missed out on that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm doing exactly what I thought I would be doing, but it's completely different. (laughs) The act of doing it is completely different than what I imagined and my lifestyle is different than what I imagined. How so? I don't know if you could give a little bit on that. Just to just to give perspective to, like, say, younger developing artists. 
most of my work, if you watched me, it's me just pacing back and forth, uh, kind of going crazy. Because the act of composing, the act of writing is not difficult. Playing's not difficult. The difficulty of um, composing is conceptual ideas. My dad was president of Laguna College, and he used to tell me that within two years of study, anyone can copy a Rembrandt and make it look almost identical to a real Rembrandt. But in all those hundreds of years since Rembrandt's been alive, no one's ever been able to think like Rembrandt. Gotcha. The act of recording, writing, mixing, all those things is not difficult per se. Um, I could teach you and tell you everything I know in probably two weeks. It's the um, it's figuring out what to do is the hard part. If I was composing for a scene, like whose point of view am I playing for? What's the sonic sound of the world? Do I compose background music that is diegetic, but then as the camera does a close-up, do I go into their world? And then as it pulls back... Do I give away what this person's thinking or just make it show that they're thinking something deep? And figuring out what what you're going to do is the difficult thing. Once I know exactly what to do, the act of writing is pretty quick and easy. But it's that conceptual part of things that's hard for composing. Um, and for performing, the part that I love is being in an ensemble and creating music together. Like, oh, it's wow. not... It's not hard to play a three-chord pop song. That's easy, and especially mm -hmm. with backing tracks and all that. Like, anyone could do that, but what's difficult is playing in a band. Like, syncing with the bass player and drummer and feeling like one unit and feeling like the whole band is breathing together. On top of that, like, with... with songs like that even like say riffing yeah and things like that like i've seen i've seen you riff like multiple times when i've been when i've been out with you at, at different performances it's just so freaking impressive like seeing seeing experienced artists do that and uh yeah now that was pretty much just a compliment and oh, a statement. i don't really but have much of a question the reason i can riff like that yeah. is because i trust the bass player and drummer and i mess up constantly while i'm riffing but they're hearing me and they're able to follow me and I'm able to fall off them yeah. and then if someone messes up the form we all move to where they are and follow that and I love that that's why I, yeah I, lo I love live music and yeah, oh it's yeah, the greatest you actually introduced me to a, a, a lot of a lot of new instruments and ways of looking at stuff and one of the main ways that you did do that is how we met met uh, through, uh you composed our film love yeah. and love not my, my shameless plug uh, <laughs> on my own show <laughs> yeah. I should have worn that shirt too <laughs> tell us about that experience, like two, two, uh, well, there was a big group of us, but two younger filmmakers come come over to you and, like, I guess, ask for advice and help <clears> them. <throat> what was that experience like for you? Well, I was really pissed off when I saw the movie mm -hmm. because when I got asked to see it, you know, the, Anthony was great. He was super upfront about what the budget was and what the timeline, all those things. And I was just like, well, I'm not going to do this. There's no way I can do this. And then I watched the movie and I'm like, Damn, I have to do this. This is really good. Uh. <laughs> uh, and I've told Anthony that. Um, yeah, Anthony Kelly, the director. I was pretty open with him where there wasn't a big budget, so I couldn't hire anyone. So I'm like, I'm going to play every instrument myself. And because I'm so pressed for time, I want you there when I compose. Um, so you can direct me in real time. A lot of composers aren't players and can play as fast as me. But having him there so I can write in real time and he could be like, no, actually more like this, more like that. You know, so he'd be like, we'd be having lunch, he'd be on his laptop and I'd be writing. He's like, yeah, more of that or I actually 
less of that, and he would direct me like an actor. And once I got the basic direction of things, I would fill in without him there. But that basic beginning parts of like, what's the sound? What's the world? What do you want? And it was so much fun because it also saved me tons of time because normally I would send things to a director and they would say, yay, nay. What do you want? There'd be emails back and forth and different conversations. It wouldn't quite... It would just add a lot of time, and with Anthony having that real time response was great. Yeah, very, very hands on, and and knows what he wants. There was a lot of original music made. It was it was just super impressive. I, I would visit them during their sessions and just yeah. smell these smells. And well, it was also a small room. <laughs> it was just a, it was it was an experience, and I've seen Alex play I, in that room. He probably played at least. I don't know, 25 instruments. There's also a small room, and we kept ordering the smelliest foods. It was during the pandemic, essentially, I built in the backyard a recording studio, like got a shed, and built a recording studio in there that I could keep. It was gorgeous, though. Yeah. Oh, Andrew Monheim, who's built most of my studios, is a genius, but had the barn doors open because it was pandemic times. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was quite so. the thing. But I'm, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going to do our little rapid-fire session. Great. Ready? Do you personally have a favorite music artist? Yes. Tom Waits? Do you also have a favorite concert that you've attended? A bunch come to mind. Taj Mahal, uh, when he was playing with the Phantom Blues Band, was unbelievable. That guy blows my mind. Getting to see Jimmy Smith, who was legendary jazz organ player. I got to see Dave Brubeck with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. His brother wrote a jazz concerto, and getting to see him play that live was amazing. I'm happy he went the jazz route. Yeah. That's uh, one of my favorite things to see live, too. Do you have a favorite film? All That Jazz. Nice. Perfect. Uh, I saw that movie when I was a kid, and it's essentially Bob Fosse's autobiography. You know, the lead character is a pill-popping, you know, womanizer who's a bit of a liar, but and it doesn't end well for him, let's just say. But it was my first time kind of seeing New York on film and seeing Broadway and how Broadway's made and seeing the world. I remember watching that movie and running to my parents and saying, I want to do that. And they're like, that that was your takeaway from the movie, that you want to do that. That when all, all this is doing is destroying people. It's like, no, that looks really fun. I want to do that. <laughs> do you have any pets? No, unfortunately. Okay. I had a cat, Major Tom, who was like my soul. Like, she was my soulmate. She passed away. I had a roommate um, who they hated each other. Major Tom and I were together for eight years. She would attack any girl I dated. But once I walked out of the room, and then when, when I'd walk back in, she would start cuddling them oh, and nice. totally gaslight them. She had kidney failure. She hated Richard, my old roommate. When he moved out, she died a day or two later because I think oh. that her hate for him was keeping her alive. He would like... <laughs> She would just go and like. I know some people like that. <laughs> like every morning, she would when he would sit down, she would run and either shit or vomit under his desk while he was working. But she'd wait till he got to his desk. Like they wow. just hated each other. Yeah, so. Shout out Major Tom. Yeah. yeah. What's your zodiac? Aries. Aries, nice. Uh, Documenting all that. If you could have dinner with anyone from history, who, who would you have dinner with? Maybe Ravel, classical composer. I wrote my thesis on him and. Yeah, just amazing composer. Be fascinating to talk to. We're going to close out here. <laughs> uh, I'm super grateful for you coming. Would, would you uh, tell the audience what you're up to next and how they could connect with you if you are interested in being connected with people? <laughs> yeah. Um, Burke.Alexander is my Instagram. Alexander Burke on Facebook. 
pretty easy to hunt down. AlexanderBurke.com is my website, and you can message me directly through that. Projects coming up is the musical, which title is still TBD at the moment. Uh, Lady in the Lake is coming out soon. The Blue Rose, which is a beautiful film I scored, is will be coming out very soon. Just produced a couple singles for uh, the artist Gloom, who's incredible, and working on a new project with her. There's just tons of stuff always coming out. So just, you know, follow me online and stay informed. All right. That's cool. Thank you so much for this, man. Fi- finally. Yeah, I'm Got excited you've been here. Well, ho- hopefully we got to do another one. We need to squeeze a lot more out of you at some point. <laughs> All right. Thank you, man. <laughs>